some of you have heard about uh, a pretty big uh, news uh, thing going on uh, lately, the Varsity Blues scandal. Uh, maybe you've heard about the, uh, the, the 50 or so people that uh, cheated their kids into, into uh, college. But uh, if you haven't heard about this, on Tuesday, March 12, 2019, as a part of an operation dubbed Varsity Blues, the federal government indicted William Singer, a college admissions consultant based out of Newport, California, and 33 other people, including actress Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman, for crimes that included bribery, racketeering, and racketeering for the purpose of fraudulently getting children into college. It's a pretty big news article. Now, if you think about it, friends, you can actually see how, how uh, this, this scandal breaks the last three commandments. Let's think about it for a second. So first, we can be sure that the instigators coveted. They maybe coveted prestige or the, uh, the privilege or success. And it was probably coveting out of fear of, of failure of their children or the desire to protect and see them succeed. Secondly, and most obviously, they, they lied egregiously and repeatedly. And thirdly, they stole. And this one's a little less obvious, but we can imagine that if their children got into college by unjust means, the people who actually earned their way and, and had the right to be there is who they stole from. They stole that position from somebody else. The Varsity Blues scandal is a big, audacious picture of breaking the last three commandments. But I want to propose this morning that, that in breaking these commandments, there's a sin beneath the sin. And that sin is the desire to be our own God. Let's unfold that for a minute. So to understand this, we've got to go way back. We've got to go to right after the beginning. We need to go back to Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve were created for relationship with God. They were, created to, they were created in the image of God to be stewards in his creation, care for the world, to be children of God, sharing his life and his love with all of creation. But Adam and Eve, after being given so much, were tempted by Satan. And this temptation didn't take too long for them to fall. And the temptation was to become like God. They thought that they could be God too. They thought that they could be kings rather than stewards. God rather than children. So they began to covet his glory. They stole from him that which was forbidden. And they lied to God when they were confronted. Now in the imagination of their hearts, as Satan whispered in their ears, Adam and Eve thought they could be kings and queens, not stewards, but rulers of the world, of their own souls. They set up for themselves kingdoms of self-rule. But the fact of the matter is that Satan lied, and he is, in fact, the father of lies, so we shouldn't be surprised, because when Adam and Eve became their own kings, they became Satan's slaves, and he enslaved all of humanity from then on out. It's God created Adam and Eve to be freed stewards of, the crea of his creation, but they became enslaved kings. And there in the garden began the long battle between God or against God and our sin. And that battle continues to today. We repeat it every time. We fall to it every time we sin, every time we lie, every time we steal, every time we covet. We do the thing that Adam and Eve did. And it comes all the way down to Laurel Laughlin and Felicity Huffman stealing and lying and coveting. We are all children of Adam. But on a normal day, eh, we're pretty decent. 
I mean, I might not keep all the commandments, but I keep the important ones. I'm not as, I'm not as bad as, if I had the choice, I would have definitely not taken the apple or whatever the fruit was. I'm not as bad as Lori Laughlin or Felicity Huffman. If I had all that money, I'd do it the right way. Maybe you're right. Maybe you aren't as bad as them. So let's turn to these commandments briefly that on the surface seem pretty easy. And let's consider what they actually require. So when I look at the Ten Commandments, even in light of the expansion that Jesus offers in the Sermon on the Mount, the, camp, the commandment not to steal feels like it should be easy to keep, right? I mean, just keep your hand out of the cookie jar. Don't put your hand in another person's pocket. And for goodness sake, cite your sources on your essays. And that's it. You're good to go. But consider what John Calvin says about this commandment. This is how he, he defines it. It is a call never to deprive another of what is properly theirs. Now, in that definition, there's an assumption that there are things that properly belong to one another. We're not communists. So you have property, you have your right, right to ownership, you have your property, but, but stealing is, is taking what is properly, properly theirs, properly someone else's. So what does that look like? What does it look like to deprive someone of what is properly theirs? Well, it means stealing time. This one kind of blew my mind when I thought about it. Stealing time includes employees and employers, stealing from each other. So have you ever been at work and spent some time on Facebook, Instagram, ESPN, you're stealing time. You're being paid for that, that time, and you're not using it as you agreed. Or maybe you're an employer. Maybe you're an employer who let go of an employee, but rather than hiring someone, you're like, oh, I'll farm the work out to other people. And now your employers are, or your employees are being overworked and underpaid. You're stealing their time. Friends, being late is a form of time theft as well. And I don't know about you guys, but I saw our service started at 10.01 this morning. So, <laughs> 10 05, yeah. <laughs> now here's, here's a doozy, friends. Have you ever not given to the poor? According to some theologians like John Calvin and John Chrysostom, these guys are heavy hitters. They know what they're talking about. Not giving generously to those in need is a form of stealing. Ouch. Every time we steal from others, we also steal from God, as Pastor Philip Ryken puts it. This is what he says. Stealing is a sin against God in at least two ways. First, every theft is a failure to trust in his provision, and every theft is also an assault on God's providence for others. It robs what he has provided for someone else. Okay, maybe you've actually done really good in life, and you've never, broken, you've never stolen any of these ways. Cool. Let's think about stealing from God himself. Because we actually do. It's very easy to steal from God. Think about, think about these questions. Have you ever tithed faithfully? Or maybe, have you ever missed a tithe? Have you withheld your time and your talents, the things that God has given you from him and the church? Have you neglected worship, times of prayer, rest with God? Have you, have you ever lived as if you were in charge, as if you were in control? This all boils down to the fact that we've all stolen, and we all desire to be our own gods. 
We don't tithe because we, aren't, we are afraid we won't have enough. We don't give our time and talents because we want to do our own thing. We steal time and from the poor because we think we own our own stuff. We're owners. We're not stewards. We're kings. We don't need to give. We act like we are our own gods. And friends, the scary thing is, if you really think about it, you can work really hard to stop, but you can't. We are enslaved kings. So maybe we haven't stolen money like the parents of the Varsity Blues. Maybe we haven't stolen money or stolen positions or stolen the way that they have. But if you consider the absoluteness of this command, we should realize that we've stolen. We've broken the law. We want to be God. Well, that's pretty rough. What about lying? Between these last three commandments, the Varsity Blue Blues operation most obviously broke the ninth commandment. The various participants lied about their children's achievements, their activities, literally pasting someone's face into a, their kid's face into a photo. Their activities, their grades, and they got other people to lie for them. Now the original context of the ninth commandment is specifically against bearing false witness against one's neighbor in court. It's against perjury. In the ancient world, the justice system was based primarily on witnesses, witness accounts. So bearing false witness could lead to someone's unjust death. God put this law in place to uphold justice and truth in Israel. But the commandment expands far beyond the judicial setting. It forbids all falsehood, lies, gossip, spin, untruth. Now, some of us, it's a, we've got a decent crowd this morning. I'm sure some of us have lied, have you know, you know, given, offered some whoppers up uh, as far as lies go. But most of the time, we just, you know, little lies. The classic white lie. Now, how, could it, how bad could it be? In, in modern lingo, it's spin. Spin. We can make anything the truth. We make anything sound good and real and true. Spin. Now, consider Pastor Philip Reichen again. This is what he's, his description of all these little white lies. What we say may be true as far as it goes, but we leave out the details that might put us at a disadvantage. Or we, may say, or we say something that is technically true, yet nevertheless intended to deceive. We overstate our accomplishments, putting ourselves in the best light possible. At the same time, we exaggerate other people's failings, thinking and saying the worst about others. We mislead, we misquote, we misinterpret. We twist people's words, taking them out of context. Spin. I'm sure all of us have done this at least once in our lives. Maybe you, maybe you think you haven't. Have you ever gossiped? Gossip is a form of lying. Twisting the truth just enough to make ourselves feel like we are a little better than them. How many times have we said something like, oh, God, bless them, but have you heard? And friends, all lying, when it comes down to it, is lying to God. As J.I. Packer says, lying insults, insults not only our neighbor, whom you may manage to fool, but also God, who you can never fool. So while many of us have not been caught lying the way that the Varsity Blues people were, the absoluteness of this commandment stands over us again. If you've lied, you set, you've set yourself on the throne of self-rule. And friends, if you've ever tried to stop lying perfectly, you've discovered that you can't take yourself off that throne. 
you're stuck. In fact, if we really attend to our circumstances, we realize that we are chained to that throne of self-rule. Because Satan rules as you sit on your throne. Lying and stealing often go hand in hand with coveting. So let's briefly turn to this last commandment. Now, Father Caleb uh, covered this commandment in more detail in his first of, the seri- of our series on the Ten Commandments, but I just want to briefly look at this commandment. So let's turn again to the, to the Varsity Blues scandal. Now, as we said earlier, they coveted the good life for their children. They wanted them to succeed at whatever cost. Further, they didn't rely on God, we could suppose, because they had, it, they had the financial means and social capital to make it happen on their own. They put themselves in the seat of God, imagining that they could turn the winds of providence for their own ends. Like Adam and Eve, they coveted God-like power and used it to evil ends. How many of us in our own small ways put ourselves in the seat of God, coveting what others have, and says, I want that, and I'm going to get it, no matter the cost. We are thieving, lying, coveting people. Like the Varsity Blues people, like Adam and Eve, we are all children of Adam and Eve. And it isn't all it's cracked up to be, folks. That's the great lie of self-rule that really is everywhere. We think, if I can only rule myself, if everybody would just leave me alone and stop telling me what to do, and I can discover who I am, I'll be free. But it's actually slavery. That's what God's law reveals. It reveals that we are enslaved kings. But it also gives us a vision of what life with God could like, could look like, what communion with God could be like. The positive side of, of the law reveals that God is king, and we were created to be his stewards who trust in him for everything. That's why in Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount calls his disciples to not be anxious about your life, as we heard this morning. We don't have to be anxious because God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is king. And friends, the life of being a steward of the king entails the keeping of all three commandments. Consider, now if if Jesus is our king and we're not, we're not going to look to what others have. We'll be content with what God has given us. We will look at what we have with gratitude and, and trust that God will give us what we need. If Jesus is our king, We'll receive everything we do have as a gift from him. We're not owners. Everything we have is not ours, but we're stewards. We've been given from the the infinite gift of God, and, and we can share it. We can be generous if we see our things as things that we're stewarding and not owning. And if Jesus is our king, we'll rely on him to care for us and others, We'll, we'll be able to avoid twisting the truth to advance ourselves or abuse others because God is the one who is in control. If Jesus is our king. When we see all these commandments, all that these commandments cover, all the things that they reveal about us, and when we see the vision of the good life that they offer, we come to a moment of crisis. We realize that every time I break the commandment, or every time I try to live the good life on my own, I'm saying to God, I am my own king. The crisis is like 
Prince Rillian in C.S. Lewis's The Silver Chair, who was bound to a chair, bound to be king, enslaved. We are all chained to our thrones. We don't just want to be king. We are enslaved to being king. We are enslaved kings. Our thrones have become, friends, our execution chairs. And we cannot escape the end. But God, in his infinite grace and mercy, does not abandon us. As he reveals our sin through the law and a vision of the good life, he makes the way through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to free and dethrone us so that we can have true life in him. How? How does he do this? First, Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience to the Father, undoing the disobedience of the rest of, the, of Adam's race. He did what we could not do. He followed the law perfectly. Humanity coveted God's power and knowledge and wanted to be God. The Son surrendered his rightful power, his rightful position, and became human to save us and trusting himself to the Father. Humanity steals from God, but Jesus gives his life for all of us in loving obedience to his Father. Humanity lies to cover up our sin. Jesus was the truth incarnate and came to reveal our true state of brokenness and reveal the path to salvation. But friends, the problem really isn't, isn't that we need a good example. We don't need just Jesus to be over there, there showing us how to live the good life so that we can do what he does. That's not salvation. <laughs> that doesn't work. We need someone to change us from the inside out. We need someone to set us free from our bondage. So until our chains were broken and we were freed from the madness of self-rule, we are powerless to live the good life as we were created. And that is why Jesus died for us. On the cross, Jesus wrought our redemption. On our thrones of self-rule, we are sentenced to death, sitting on our execution chairs, waiting for the end but Jesus stayed the execution and died in our place. On the cross, Jesus broke our chains and tore us off of our thrones and sat down in them himself to destroy our thrones of self-rule. Even while we were still sinners, before we knew him, Jesus died in our place. He trampled sin and hell and death. On the cross, our sin is no longer ours, but his. Friends, think about this. Every time we've broken the commandment, every time we've taken the Lord's name in vain, every time we've stolen or lied or cheated, all of those are his on the cross. He became sin for us and gives us his love, his life, his obedience, his salvation. This is the sweet exchange of the cross. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus, like Aslan breaking the stone table and destroying the silver chair, destroys our thrones of enslavement and gives us true freedom as sons and daughters of God. So friends, as we conclude our series on the Ten Commandments, we return to the basics. We return to the gospel. Let us hear it and hear it 
and respond in faith and repentance. Friends, if you are not a Christian, if you have come to church your whole life, if you've sat in the pews and checked off the boxes, if you're here to try to get God to do something for you, that's not what this is about. He loves you and has given everything for you. Receive him as your Lord and find true freedom today. And friends, if you are a Christian, maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're struggling with sin or temptation, an ingrained sinful habit. Maybe you've realized that you, in fact, do steal and lie and covet more than you knew. Hear who you really are. When you struggle with sin, when you want to climb back on that throne of slavery, hear the gospel. That is not your life. That all ended when Jesus took it from you. Your sin is no longer yours. You've died with Christ and you are freed to be children of the king. As a child of the king, you have his character, his love, his life. You are a child of God and that is your true identity. Scripture, friends, makes it abundantly clear that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The Holy Spirit of Christ dwells in you and testifies to your spirit that you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit gives you the life of faithful obedience that Jesus lived. That life of example is no longer an example alone. It is in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. This means that you don't have to try to keep the commandments on your own strength. You don't have to be good on your own. But the Spirit of God dwells in you, working in you the character of Jesus, his humility. His contentment, his generosity, his honesty are all at work in you. So open your hands in faith and surrender. Surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit as he transforms you into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you are in Christ, that is who you are. You are a child of God. That is the most true thing about you, full stop. So let us live and walk as freed children of God and discover all the good things our Heavenly Father has for us. Let us love God and one another contentedly, generously, and humbly, all to the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Abba, Father, we praise you and thank you for your love. We thank you for the generous, abundant, infinite gift of your Son. Lord, have mercy on us. Transform us. Help us to catch a glimpse of your glory and be transformed by the image, into the image of your Son through the power of your Holy Spirit. We praise you and thank you for your word. We praise you and thank you for your work. Lord, come. Help us to worship you and to be caught up into our life that is in you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus.